0: Now we have the pleasure of listening to Ben Sweeney. <laughs> ben? All right. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. I like it uh, sometimes when I'm not actually leading singing, but I get to jam on guitar. I'm just over there sweating, <laughs> shredding yeah. on the acoustic guitar. Yeah. <laughs> And God blesses me in that I don't break a string when I'm doing that. But but I'm really grateful that we have everybody chipping in to sing, to run sound like Nick. We're always troubleshooting different things. You know, hey, we're a bunch of volunteers, so that's that's a pretty cool thing to do that. All right. So speaking of uh, sweating, I was thinking, this week, I've been trying to get my activity up, right? That's a nice way to start a sermon, huh? I've been trying to get my activity up, so uh, Sarah and I have been talking about rock climbing. Connor got me out mountain biking this week, which was awesome and really, really humbling. Uh, I haven't been seriously into mountain biking for about five years, and so my body's like, oh, yeah, I can do this and climb about 100 feet, and no. Now we have to get off and walk because my head's pounding, and my chest is pounding. Uh, so, I'm all of 33 years old, but I feel time just coming out of me over there. has been this flurry. Fight, it, fight, it, fight, it. fight against the dying of the light. There's, a, there's been a flurry of weddings lately, which Amen. has been really awesome. We already got to see a couple of pictures of Jos and Emily Campos. Now, Woo! so that's Woo! that is a pretty cool thing. Uh, having been involved with uh, Josvan's life off and on over the last four years, um, seeing that come together—it's a really cool thing. Um, I'm actually celebrating our first anniversary. Well, hopefully, we're both celebrating our <laughs> first day of, uh, in two weeks. Wow! Woo! Man, fast year. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Just a year ago. So it's nuts. Like, like time is just moving on. But I've been thinking a lot about, reading a lot about, meditating on hope lately. I think partly because I I have this tendency to find um, hope in myself sometimes. I think that, you know, okay, my body's going to be able to do this because I used to be able to, or uh, I used to be sharp in this way. I've been trying to get back into uh, academics. I'm going to be applying for my PhD. applying to start a PhD program and I've been out of that for five years too and that's like oh my gosh it's scraping out the gunk in my brain shaking out the rust and the reality is I just I don't have all that much that I can hope in um how about some popcorn answers what are what are things that we can put our hope in? money Money. job Job, relationships Plans. plans plans Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no, there's all kinds of things that, that we can quickly go to in our minds. Like, okay, this is a, this is a worldly thing I shouldn't be putting my hope in. Um, well, we'll go ahead and turn to Philippians 3. Today, I want to take the opportunity to talk about hope. And I'm just going to have two points for us today. The first one is, what is our hope in? And the second is, what is our hope for? So first, I want to talk about what is our hope in? We've talked about wealth, financial security, rights, success, relationships, etc., etc. It's really easy to kind of rattle those things off. But what do we hope in as Christians? Oh, right. Jesus, God, heaven. Well, like, we kind of get these generic spiritual sounding answers sometimes, but we don't necessarily know what that means. Like, what does it actually mean to hope in God? What does it mean? To hope in in heaven or Jesus or something like that. Because if we don't have a biblical definition of hope, if we don't know what, say, our first century brothers and sisters were hoping in, how they thought of hope, we're really likely to find ourselves hoping in something that we were never meant to hope in. And I think that sometimes we do that in the church by just putting a spiritual veneer on the exact same things we just listed yeah. right we, we say that our hope is in god but really sometimes our hope is that god is going to bless us financially yeah right or we say that my hope is in god but really if god doesn't come through and bring me this spouse if god doesn't come through and fix this problem if god doesn't come through and fix my kids whatever it is then we can lose faith in god yeah say so, you know, hey i trusted in you god why didn't you come through for me in this way but that's really just, like I said, putting a spiritual veneer on all the same idols that we just talked about, whether it's wealth, reputation, or success. It's just spiritualizing it, which can almost make it more poisonous because we think that we're being spiritual. We think that we're, we're seeing the right things. But blessings aren't our hope. Uh, if, we, if we look at history, even look at the book of Acts, look at the Bible, what they were hoping in... If they were hoping for good relationships and wealth and more lands and, and all those things, they would have been really badly disappointed. That wasn't the first century experience. Like You, you definitely had some people who were wealthy, and they are able to be a patron of, uh, of missionaries and host house churches and stuff. That existed, but that wasn't the normal experience. Normal Christians expected hardship. They expected persecution. They expected suffering. But they were still Christians and they grew and they made more Christians. Not because they were being sold some line of, hey, God's going to make everything in your life great if you just turn to Him. Like, no, they were looking forward to something else. So, uh, first, and, and I know I said Philippians 3, but first I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to kind of make this point, I put some of these scriptures up there. 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 13 Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he says if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the Christ, or excuse me, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If we're just hoping in this life for the things that can come through this life, Paul says we're of all people most to be pitied because we don't have it. He's speaking from that first-century perspective of hardship, persecution, separation from family. It was—it was, it was not—it was not this warm, fuzzy, happy time for Christianity. If you go on into uh, other scriptures, let to move to this next slide here. I just—I just listed a couple. And actually, no, I'm I'm going to backtrack on myself. Let's go ahead and read that section in Philippians chapter 3. What did the early Christians hope in? Philippians chapter 3, start in verse 7. Paul says, whatever were gains to me. And he has just gone through this whole description of, of his religious upbringing, his uh, his genetic breeding, like who he is as, as, a, as a person of God, as a Jew, as a Pharisee. Um, but whatever regains gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jump down to verse 17 here. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Alright, we just read a big section of chapter 3, and there's several more verses. If we go on and look at what Paul has to say about hope, just do a basic word study. Look through the New Testament, where hope comes up, more often than not, Paul is talking about this idea of the resurrection, of a future hope. Um, when he's on trial in Acts chapter 23, he makes his case and says, Hey, I'm on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. We see in Romans chapter 8, which is a lot of people's like, favorite kind of feel good chapter in the Bible, and he talks about how creation, starting in verse 22 in uh, Romans 8, you don't have to go there, but he says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. And there's so many other... I know it's just a list of four, but there's, there's so many places in the New Testament where Paul especially talks about hope. If you want to keep digging into it, Peter has some really interesting things. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews says some interesting things. But when we define hope in a biblical way, we have to consider the resurrection. It's not... It's not a focus on some kind of pie in the sky. One day we'll get to leave all of this behind and go off to heaven. That's that's not necessarily what he's talking about. He, when when we talk about the hope of a resurrection, and even that is hard to grasp because we think resurrection, and it's either something kind of hokey off the Hallmark Channel or maybe it's more of a Night of the Living Dead. Like there's the idea of resurrection is such a and. Uncommon, uncomfortable topic sometimes, uh, which is which is part of what I think is really interesting because this was such a huge deal for the first century Christians. But the Bible says in Colossians 1.18 that Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. Jesus as as a resurrected being is the first fruits of everything else that's going to be resurrected. The resurrection that Christians get to participate in. And it says in, in Romans 8, that creation groans until this happens. So Christians, um, if you've been around and we've talked about things like, like baptism, and all of that is Christians getting to participate in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's so much of what this is about. We, we become a new creation in this moment. We're, we're given the, the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 2.12, it says it's like that's that's where we're saved from the ultimate death. This is where we get to start participating in this idea of resurrection. So I know this is a lot in the system. some can be some kind of strange grounds theologically. And, and you don't have to agree with me on everything here. I, I, I don't want to say that I'm the authority on this. I'm definitely not, you know, hey, you, use your Bibles, use your brains. Let's talk about it. We're a family that can do that. Amen. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But I would ask us, how often do we really think about this? Do we think about resurrection? I think it's much easier to think about heaven, right? I mean, I grew up when people would ask each other, oh, what do you think your room in heaven is going to look like? Oh, I'm going to have this many guitars, and have these posters on the walls, and we don't know how to conceive of, of the future in, in a way that lines up with the Bible sometimes. And I'm, I'm not... Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there is no heaven or something like that. What I'm saying is that what they were looking forward to wasn't just some after physical, spiritual existence in some other plane where none of this matters. They were looking forward to a resurrected body in a resurrected life a renewed creation where heaven and earth actually came together. That sort of dualistic thinking that I mentioned where we we can envision that, like, hey, this this body is worthless. This earth is pointless. Why bother taking care of the environment? It's all going to burn, right? Why why worry about what I'm putting in my body because this isn't the final version anyway? It's like that's kind of missing, missing the point. It's more of like an early gnostic thinking than christian thinking the gnostics were all about leaving this world behind and kind of achieving enlightenment through study through spirituality had nothing to do with the flesh but half of the new testament is written to combat the teachings of the gnostics so anyway i am getting a little bit too much into some of the some of the theology but my point is that what we're looking forward to, what we're hoping in, it really needs to line up more with what the Bible says that was for them, and what it should be for us. And I would say that it is—it is this resurrection life, which isn't just a spiritual concept for, you know, to help us think better or, um, you know, tick off the right morals or something like that. But we're really actually looking forward to some kind of future existence that is different from this existence. So I want to keep going on and talk about what are the implications of this. What is our hope for? All right, so that's the Philippians 3. I want to keep that up there because I want to talk about this idea in Philippians 3.20 where it says that our citizenship is in heaven and what that means. So I've got a slide showing of uh, Philippi right up there. This is the far north, far north of what would have been um, the province of Syria under the Roman Empire. This is far to the north of Israel. This is about the furthest north that Jesus ever went. The book of Philippians being written to uh, citizens in Philippi. I don't want to get too much into the history, but we can go to the next slide here. This is part of what it's famous for. This is the headwaters of the Jordan River. This is the, the grotto or the cave of Pan. Um, Greek god Pan. And uh, in the century right before Christ there was a temple built to honor Caesar. Uh, it, was, it ended up becoming a, uh, a major Roman colony. So when Roman soldiers would retire you didn't want retired soldiers living in the capital city of Rome. You know They could be kind of riled up by rivals and the Romans learned that early on. It's like, no, you send them elsewhere. So so they'd go to Philippi, to the colony there, and their citizenship was in Rome, but they were the idea wasn't that they were gonna go back to Rome. The, the the idea was that they were going to live there, represent Rome, its culture, its values, its religion, its military mind, its order. They weren't there as tourists. Right? They weren't just vacationing there. So when Paul writes to these Romans, and he says, our citizenship is in heaven. He's reminding them not of where they're going necessarily, so much as what their calling is now. I, th- I think in our in our society in general, and, and I think especially here in a place like Eugene, people are more familiar with, say, like Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, people that have had a lot of of really critical things to say about religion. Uh, Nietzsche famously said that religion is is the opiate of the masses, right? It's just a way to control people, um, get them to kind of go with the existing power structures that are there. What I think is so amazing about people, these ex-soldiers in the Roman Empire being in in a city that was dedicated first to a pagan god, but then dedicated to Caesar himself, when they said that Jesus was Lord, this wasn't just, oh Jesus is Lord, and, and oh now I'm saved. Like, no, when they said Jesus is Lord, they're saying Caesar is not. This was a revolutionary thing, this is the kind of thing you could be executed for treason for. This was a a really big deal. And I think it's a it's a challenge to think about what that what, what that really means for us. How complicit are we with the rest of the world? With just kind of going with the flow, keeping our heads down, just looking for it. man, one of these days, I'm finally going to die and get out of here and head up to heaven or something. But that's, that's not what Paul is calling for when he says, remember your citizenship in heaven. Uh, let's keep going here. Oh, that's me when I had here. I, I wanted to show this Where I'm standing is Independence Square in Kiev, Ukraine, in 2008. And um, I was there just for a a leadership conference because I was studying abroad in Ireland at the time. And some some friends from the church helped me to get over there. And I had this great experience, um, great food, learned all these really cool things. I won't go into all this detail telling you about right now. But, yeah, and I had this great time. got to stand in Independence Square. And if we go to the next picture... Just a few years later, uh, the, when the riots uh, started in Kiev, and it's still not completely settled now, you can see that almost all the bricks, almost all the bricks are gone. They're pulled up to make barricades, they're pulled up to throw. It was, it was a, a really, really dark time in, uh, in Ukraine, and, and this lasted for several years, t- just a few years ago, and there's still a lot of unrest. But my point with this is when I saw this picture in the news originally I was I was impacted I was like oh man I was there that's intense But that's about as far as it went because I was just a tourist I didn't have any real sense of ownership in Kiev I, I you know I was just a passing through as it were So like I felt something but I wasn't like oh my gosh that's you know that's my home that's uh, you know those are my people like, no I I was an American kid, you know. I I met three, four Ukrainians that I remember, you know, and talked to. I think that this is sometimes how we feel about the earth, and, and I don't intend this to be an environmental or social justice, or I, I'm not going to get on any kind of political point, except to say, sometimes we're too much like tourists, yeah, just yeah. passing through. Well, let's go go to the next slide here. I was thinking about this from a, from a musician's standpoint because every Sunday I put together a list of six, seven, eight songs. Uh, I, I've got a couple hundred in a database that I, I go to and, and pull from to put that together every week. And, and once you sing a song a couple of dozen times, you really, really get the lyrics in your head. And I started paying attention to to some of these messages. This is one I haven't heard in a long time. But you, uh, Hewitt's, when we all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. that's was quality. Uh, when, we all, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. All right. Uh, Albert Brumley's I'll Fly Away. One of, my, one of my favorites. I love playing it up here. But the, what he says is some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And uh, he also arranged uh, this song in 1937, which is an older spiritual song. uh, Another fun one to play, up here. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Let's go to the next one, something a little more recent, Uh, A lot of you are familiar with J. Brian Craig, right? So, I've got a home forever to stay. I've been forgiven. I'm on my way. I've got a home. I've got his grace. I'll see my Lord face to face. In heaven, in heaven, I've got a home in heaven. In heaven, in heaven, I've got a home in heaven. So this isn't just some kind of turn of the century or old school um, belief. The idea that so much of Christianity is just about gutting it out and making it so that we can go off somewhere else, I, I really think it fosters that idea of tourism. You know, I'm just passing through, so this stuff doesn't really matter. I'm mean, going to keep my head down, this guy's pain, these people's problem, whatever's going on in you know, Ukraine or Syria or whatever it might be, that's not really my problem. I'm just responsible for my life. And that's half true, but it's not the full picture when when paul says we are citizens of heaven and we're looking forward to a savior coming back from there who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body this is about a life here that's not the the final version, right? We aren't our final version now. This earth isn't its final version. But we get to participate with God in helping make this world a better place, in helping impact the people around you. If we just have the sort of mentality that just says, I'm a, I'm a tourist and I'm just passing through, maybe we'll care about the people we see to a certain extent. But that's different from really investing, saying, hey, this is this is where God has put me as a colonist of his kingdom, and I have a responsibility to bring the kingdom with me. I have a responsibility to live as a citizen of that kingdom and, yeah, help other people connect with that, but also just to live as an ambassador of Christ. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? It's like, Jesus, Jesus did so much. Like, yes, he taught, he preached, he reached out to people, but he fed people, he healed people. He got involved in people's lives. He set the captives free. Right? And I think it's worth considering is that how we're actually representing Christ in the world? Or are we just representing an alternative schedule? Right? So instead of going out partying on Saturday you should you know, stay home so you can get up in time for church. Like That's that's not the gospel. It's, it's so much more than that. So I'm gonna skip forward a little bit and and ask what does it mean to represent Christ in the world? I think that's something we each need to individually think about. Because you've you've all heard a lot of um, sermons about evangelism from up here, and absolutely that is a part of it. The explicit explanation and telling people about Jesus and his life and what he has to offer. Yes. And it also means representing the image of God in so many other ways. Right? Who who are the hungry? Who are the poor? Who are the people that are in need? You know, do you even know the people around you well enough to say, hey, here's a need that if I'm acting like Jesus, I can help fill in this person. Or do we just go, you know what? I'm just going to look out for myself, number one, and make sure I'm faithful in the last day so I can get out of here and go to heaven. No, we really need to think about how we're... Actually affecting one another, how we're actually affecting the rest of the world. When, when, when Jesus says that that we are the light of the world, that we should shine like stars, when he says that we are salt in the world, all, all these great things in Matthew 5-7, through 7, that's really only true if we're actually living like Jesus, if we're actually acting as agents of healing in the world and with one another. There's, there's so much going on up there. You turn on the news, turn on the weather, turn on the history channel. Like there are so many ugly things that humans are doing to each other. What are we doing to bring the light of God to the broken world in all these areas? I'm going to go to this last slide here. To, what, what do I take away from this? Hopefully it's not just, like, oh, been one off on some theological tangent, but what would I really think this needs to be is, is How do I think about my hope as a Christian? Is it just a one sweet day, you know, by and by, I'm just a passing through. Is, is that all that my life is about? Is that really what it is? It's just escape? Or is it something else? Do, do I think about the resurrection? Do I even know what that means? Is that still kind of weird, hocus-pocus sort of stuff? If so, I encourage you to research it. Dig into your Bible. See what they thought. See what they wrote Secondly, am I really living as an ambassador for Jesus? Does it, does it affect the way that I speak? Does it affect the way that I act and engage with other people? Do I even see the hurts? Do I even know what's going on in the world? Do I know what's going on in my community? My mom actually challenged me on that a little bit recently because I'm, I'm hip to world news and she's like, oh, how are those fires going? I was talking to her on the phone last week. I'm like, what fires? I had no idea. It's like, oh, well, there's, there's fires near Bend. There's fires near Medford. It's this small example, but, but we need to care about what's actually going on in our community, in our local place. Yeah. And then beyond that, uh, man, I, I grew up, I think as many of you did, I think in uh, middle school and high school, it became pretty popular in sort of the evangelical circles to have a little bracelet with WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Oh, and, yeah. and, and that was sort of like a, you know... For me, at least, it was kind of like a little pat on the back, and I'm representing Christ, and I'm, you know, uh, I know what to do. But the reality is, is I didn't even know Jesus that well. So, like, what would Jesus do? I don't know. I don't even know what he did. I, I think that that's something that we need to challenge ourselves. Like, how well do we even know Jesus if we're going to actually claim to represent him? If we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, if we're going to be ambassadors for Christ, we better know what he actually has to say. What? How did he live his life? Um, bad. Th- these are important things to consider, and then lastly, where can I represent Jesus in some of the broken and hurting parts of the world around me? We can't fix it all. We aren't going to rally and take the world in some kind of crusade. And like, no, people have done horrible things in the name of God, trying to bring a physical kingdom of God to the earth. That's that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you as an individual are limited, but together we are the body of Christ. We are Christ in this world. So if the world is going to change, if the world is ever going to have any kind of hope, any kind of love, anything that that we believe that God provides, a huge part of that has to come through us. And if we aren't willing to engage... If we don't have those relationships first with one another, but then if we don't have an eye, and we don't have a heart for the world around us, then we're not going to do it. Yeah. And And yeah, okay, maybe we'll make it to the last day. I'm not saying we'll be condemned. At the same time, that's explicitly what we're being called to do. When we remember our citizenship in heaven, it's a call to action in this life. It's not just the promise of the next. It's, hey, what can I do now? to help bring God's light to this world. And Galatians 6-9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time we will reap a harvest, but we do not give up. This applies to a lot of different ways, but I think this is, this is a big part. The world is a broken, awful place. Terrible things have been happening lately. I'm not even going to go into them. But that's not new either. The, the world has been broken from the beginning. As, as, as soon as... Adam and Eve made their decision in the garden, right? But before that, you read Genesis 1, it's amazing. God says, it is good. Six times. And then he wraps it all up in an exclamation mark and says, it is very good during the creation. We we have a calling as Christians, as ambassadors of Christ, to make a difference in the world. Make a difference with one another. As As we move into taking the communion, I really urge us to think about this. Think about what communion with God, communion with one another, what effect does this have on your life? What effect should it have? What effect can? How about that? What effect can it have on your life? Do you think about your connection to, to God? Do you think about your connection to one another within this body of Christ? Do we think about this existence we have right now, this sort of this in-between state of, of earth and heaven. Let's think about our ultimate hope. Let's think about everything that Jesus has done for us, so that we can have that. Amen. 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 All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made, for your Son on the cross. For the opportunity we have to reconcile to you to, be, to have this broken relationship fixed. Lord, that you stood in the gap yourself so that we could be close to you. Lord, we've done nothing to earn your grace. We've done nothing to earn your forgiveness and we never could. Help us, Lord, to instead see your love, feel your love, and respond to that. Help us to remember that this isn't just A blip on the radar this isn't just a an uncomfortable moment we have to struggle through but it is a calling an active calling now to reach other people an active calling to to heal and to feed and to love help us to live as your ambassadors live as your body in this earth Lord, we thank you again for the sacrifice you made for us so that we can have this opportunity, so that we can look forward to a resurrected life with you, so that we can look forward to more than what this earth has to offer now. But Lord, help us to have hearts and eyes of compassion for the world around us. Help us to love one another deeply from the heart. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.